I don't like Mondays. You should do, mate. The podcast comes out. Welcome, everybody, to The Final Countdown, a podcast looking back at great finals within the game of football. I am Lewis, here with my co-host, Adam. Now, you just came alive, you know that, right? Oh, yeah, this yeah. is proper radio presenter. Like, literally 20 seconds ago, you weren't talking like that. <laughs> yeah, but you've got to give the people what they want, which clearly is a false uh, projection of my energy on a, a Monday morning. Welcome to The Final Countdown. <laughs> we should definitely do it like a 1980s radio show at some point. Uh, so it is my turn this week. Uh, it's been a little while to guide you through a final. Uh, we are back with the FA Cup, our bread and butter. So, uh, Adam, it is the 1992 FA Cup final that I'm talking about between Liverpool and Sunderland. Ah, yes. As always, what do you know? Well, I know it's the only thing Soonest won in a pretty ill-fated management reign. Yeah, we'll be touching on that. Yeah. Um, And then I've, I've got a feeling Dean Saunders scores, but I could be wrong about that. Interesting. Uh... And probably rush scores because it's Liverpool at Wembley. Um, but other than that, I and mean, Liverpool win it. Um, I think it's Sunderland. Is that right? Yeah, I said Sunderland at the start. Oh, did you? Cle- Sorry. Clearly, you're not listening. But well, I was okay. amused by your <laughs> by my energy. Welcome to the. It was um, less about content and more about delivery. That's what you were focusing on. <laughs> I didn't know you needed to be listened to. You. <laughs> um, yeah, that's about it, mate. Really, I mean, obviously, and also, it's the kind of the the end of the Merseyside reign. Of terror. Yeah, unfortunately for me, uh, it's the. Uh, luckily, I've managed to preside over most of the Liverpool uh, Cup finals on this podcast. Um, but yeah, this is basically. Uh, well, just to, to skip ahead, we wouldn't uh, uh, get to an FA Cup final or win the FA Cup again until what year? Can you guess? 2001. Very good. Mm. Yes. So it's a long kind of. It's, I mean, that's a Liverpool fan to say. Like, that's typical, that is. It's not long, really, is It's nine years. Well, that feels like an eternity. <laughs> Do you know the last time Everton got to a cup final? Hey, all I'm saying is this Liverpool squad was used to being in finals. True. We were I'll used to success. Yeah. Yeah. We were used to being... It was definitely an era-changing moment here with the Premier League starting as well, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I, I'll ev- give you that. Everything starts to kind of coincide to drag Liverpool down and promote other teams around us, uh, such as Man United, which is going to be miserable when we start getting into the uh, late 90s and 2000s, talking about Man United's success, but nevertheless. Yeah, um, yeah you are correct. This was um, Graham Souness's Liverpool. So uh, just to set the scene a little, uh, Kenny Dalglish had resigned as manager of Liverpool in February 1991. Um, two days couldn't take the pressure of Everton knocking him out of the cup correct two days after well yeah four all draw with rivals Everton he knew it was coming though in an FA Cup (laughs) yeah that was what did him in it was the fear of a resurgent Everton I'm not sure who won the replay in fairness to be fair I didn't look into it I don't know I just know this headline so um, I know that Liverpool would surrender the lead four times yeah crazy game that was so I think there was something in that obviously we've spoken about at length in other podcasts the toll that Hillsborough had taken uh, that he wasn't the same after that but uh, Dalglish was retiring as three time manager of the year obviously both as a player and a manager he brought unparalleled success to Liverpool. So it was huge, huge boots for um, Graham Souness to fill. Um, Ronnie Moran had become caretaker for Liverpool uh, whilst the board decided on the next manager. 
um, in keeping with that boot room philosophy. Yeah. Uh, Moran had worked under, and this is just incredible, so he'd worked as a um, member of staff underneath Bill Shankly, yeah. Bob Paisley, Joe Fagan, Kenny Dalgleish. Uh, he would go on to stay in the coach staff for Graham Souness and for Roy Evans. Um, so Ronnie Moran kind of taken over about three or four months while Liverpool decided on the next person to take the helm. Yeah. Um, Sunderland, however, were a second division team at this point. Were they really? A, a lowly second division Didn't team. Didn't know that, okay. Um, so we'll get into how they were in the, the league later on, but Sunderland had become greater of the sum of their parts in the lead-up to this cup final, uh, beating West Ham on a replay, Chelsea on a replay, and Norwich, who were all first division sides. Norwich were decent back then, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. so I think Norwich finished something like ninth that season. Right. Um, and yeah, so they had played West Ham twice and managed to get through, played Chelsea twice, managed to get through, and then Norwich. So it was a, a really spectacular cup run for this second division team. Um, Liverpool, however, had struggled in the Cup and had just about managed to get through a semi-final replay with 2nd Division Portsmouth, um, scraping through on penalties. Wow. So Liverpool were, like you said, this was very much starting to show the uh, wear and tear of a uh, historic run of yeah. the team that they'd been, but they were really struggling at this point. Um, and there was a big question mark hanging over Anfield, which was, was Sooness up to the task? So he'd managed to win a lot in Scotland. He'd done great things. Rangers um, and he brought success to them and uh, a bit of the narrative was that because Sunas was the player he was a lot of people wanted to come and play for him so he had reversed the instead of all the good Scottish players coming down to England he had managed to drag a lot of great English players up to Scotland um, and kind of was part of this Sunas revolution at Rangers so he you know achieved a lot but as is pretty much still now the case, uh, people hang a question mark over you if you've done it in Scotland. It happened with Brendan Rodgers when he was manager of Celtic. Yeah. Um, it's obviously happened recently with Steven Gerrard taking over at Villa, people wondering whether you yeah. can bring yeah. about the same thing. So it was still the same back then. Um, and Sunas had tried to impose himself on the squad um, and at the start of the season had shipped off a number of experienced and quality players. You know, People like Peter Beardsley, Steve McMahon um, had all been released by um, Sunas. Yeah. Beardsley's a shock, isn't it? Because he was still top... Top player. Yeah, and he's still playing in the mid-90s. Like He yeah. went to Everton from New- Liverpool? Uh, Everton later, but Newcastle yeah. is where I remember him yeah, doing yeah. really well alongside Andy Cole. That's right. In, yeah. in Keegan's team, that would have been, wouldn't it? Before yeah, yeah it would have been. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that, what a team. Sorry, I just went a bit misty-eyed there thinking about Keegan's uh, Newcastle. <laughs> you love Kevin Keegan. I do love Kevin Keegan. He's a figure of much mirth and joy in my life. But also, I do miss, and Bobby Robson had it a little bit, but I do miss some of these coaches that that were unashamedly just attack-minded. It yeah. genuinely was. I know it's become the cliche, but it genuinely was. Keegan didn't give a crap about defence. No. He just liked attacking football and believed in strikers. It was great. Yeah. What a philosophy. I mean, Pep can do like a two-hour kind of like dissertation on space and uh, quadrants. And then Keegan's coming along and just like, yeah, put the ball back in there. <laughs> what are you worried about? That's as close to negative about Pep as you'll ever go, I imagine. Oh, the, the love, the battle of the, the Clash of the Titans, the head and the heart. Oh, Pep, and, <laughs> Pep and Keegan. It's basically a, uh, a uh, yeah, it's a real dilemma for me. <laughs> well, football genius, nothing less. We're watching a... a an alien play this game of ours, the likes of which we've never seen before. So, uh, talking about key stories leaning into the game. So, uh, Liverpool without um, John Barnes and Ronnie Whelan. Um, they were injured and would miss out. Uh, so, Liverpool became incredibly dependent this season because of the exodus of older players and the injuries they had. Barnes had a horrible Achilles tendon injury. Really, really nasty. Hey, he missed the Euros, didn't he? That's right. Yeah. Um, but Steve McMahon was the youngest player on the pitch in this game. Um, and, spoiler was he? alert... 
he would win Man of the Match. He had just broken through. So he'd been given his debut under Dalgleish the season before oh, really? as a sub, and then he got one start. And then this season, he would play 52 games. Wow. Because basically, Sunas had backed himself into a corner where the only option he had was to uh, rely on some of the youth players, and McManaman was one of those. Right. Um, so yeah, Steve McManaman came in literally just from the start of the season and... Um, cemented his place and was used pretty much every game. Right. Uh, so he's this young attacking player that we kind of all know Steve, what Steve McManaman's about now. Um, I guess our version of Ryan Giggs, effectively. There was kind of this battle in the, the 90s of those kind of two dribbling wizards. Um, but I didn't realise this. Steve McManaman was uh, one-on-one mentored by John Barnes during this time. Really? So apparently, I don't know if it was Dalgleish that set it up. Um, in fact, it may well have been Sunes. But um, John Barnes was taken aside and was asked to look out for little Stevie as it was, I found in a Fantastic. interview. So, yeah, so he was literally being mentored and kind of one-on-one training with one of the greatest dribblers, English dribblers, kind of, ever. Yeah. Um, did, so, he, did he teach him to hold or give, but do it at the right time? Yeah, do it at the right time, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, he could be slow or fast, but he must get to the line. <laughs> we could do the whole the whole song here, but we'll save our listeners. Um, but, yeah, so this was his debut season, um, but he'd been chucked in the deep end. And more than that, Liverpool... Uh, would not end up having Graham Souness in the dugout um, for this game. Weird. Do you know why? Well, he probably got sent off now, didn't he? <laughs> See, that's what I thought as well. But no, he had had a triple heart bypass Oh, no, surgery. I do remember that. Yeah, blimey. So all the way back in April. So, um, yeah, Ronnie Moran would be in the dugout. There is footage. Uh, I think Souness comes out. I can't remember if it's just before the game or half time. I think he comes to the dugout, but right. it doesn't get involved in any of the coaching. He isn't standing up. He just sits there, as right. you can imagine, trying to not get too involved or excited. I imagine um, it's a challenge for them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there is this weird shot. If you are interested, go to YouTube and look at the uh, the highlights of this cup final because um, when Liverpool score, I can't see who it is, but one of the coaching staff is kind of like straddling Graham Souness from behind and hugging him. It's a really weird shot where Souness is but like when, dour-faced. When a goal is happening. Yeah. Right, okay. Souness Not doesn't, just randomly. No, yeah, okay. he doesn't just turn to him and it's like, oh, that guy's giving... <laughs> but basically, Souness is wearing this guy like a backpack in the dugout. And this guy, yeah, it's it's way, a very surreal Way to moment. keep his heart, you know, nicely. Yeah, yeah, maybe that was it. Maybe he's just weighing him down so he couldn't run along the touchline. <laughs> uh, but yeah, very bizarre shot when they cut to him, but... Um, in the week after, so this is part of what did Souness in as well. Um, so not only had he shipped off a couple of players and not left himself with much of a, a backup plan. Um, in the week after the semi-final win against Portsmouth, Souness had enraged the Liverpool fans by having a celeb- celebratory photo taken and released in the Sun. So not only was it uh. the Sun newspaper, but to make matters worse, because the photo was released uh, late because it was a replay in the semi-final and it went to penalties, it missed the... Um, original uh, print deadline and so would be released on April 15th which was the third anniversary of Hillsborough is he alright so Souness was in the sun smiling kissing his wife to celebrate getting through to the FA Cup final and surviving his surgery but obviously a culmination of things led to it being released on the anniversary of Hillsborough so on the sun front page was a picture of Graham Souness smiling and celebrating which as you can imagine was devastating to Liverpool fans, yeah. especially because Souness had been one of the ringleaders in originally telling um, current Liverpool players to not speak to the Sun. He right. had kind of put in that policy, so it was really bizarre that he then would agree to this yeah. um, story being released, but that didn't help Souness's popularity, especially um, obviously you want to give people the benefit of the doubt. When Souness was first appointed, there was still quite a lot of positivity. He'd obviously 
been a hugely successful player, yeah. had done well for Rangers. So I think people wanted him to succeed, but after he kind of ripped the spine out of the team and then moments like this, he kind of was always facing a bit of an uphill struggle. Um, on the other side of the dugout, however, Sunderland were um, unable to find a manager following the departure of Dennis Smith to York City. Um, oh, big, oh, big day that Oh, was, yeah. Man. Well, we all remember where we were when we heard the news. Dennis Smith being signed by York <laughs> City as a manager. In his stead, another caretaker manica, uh, manager called Malcolm Crosby was given the caretaker duties. Don't worry. I can see you shaking your head, Adam. Um, there's no reason you would remember him because this is the only footnote in his life. I tried to do a bit of research wow. on him. There's pretty much nothing. So no what? it could have been interesting because obviously Ronnie, um, yeah, Ronnie Moran was... Uh, at this point, caretaker of Liverpool. Uh, Malcolm Crosby was caretaker of Sunderland, so this would have been the first final where two caretaker yeah, managers yeah, yeah. would have played against each other. However, um, as their magical cup run gained momentum, the fans started calling for Crosby to be named permanent manager, um, to which the Sunderland chairman was very reluctant to do due to Crosby's inexperience. Um, but nevertheless, as this cup run went on and on and on, the fans were very vocal in wanting Crosby to take over. And so after the semi-final, he was given his permanent contract, um, mm. but he achieved nothing else with Sunderland and it Why? goes pretty much downhill. Yeah, that's, that's a knee-jerk reaction right there. Yeah, you're going with the shout of the fans. Yeah, at least, like, he's got to win it. Yeah, exactly. So he was a bit premature, semi-final, yeah. and uh, yeah, Crosby gets named permanent manager. Um, but this was as good as it got for him, really. Um, but Sunderland had the feel of a team who had overperformed in every game leading up to the final. Uh, I'm reading a couple of Sunderland fan sites about this run. <laughs> Almost every, I don't know if it's something about, you know, real Northerners having a bit of a dour, pessimistic thing, but in all the write-ups, it's like, we were a crap team and we were overperforming and all of us knew our luck would run out at some point and we just kept on getting surprised. <laughs> it does surprised. Seem a bit out of the blue, though, doesn't it? Like, that... They did nothing else that I remember around that time. No, well, well, both teams had hugely underperformed in the league. So Sunderland had finished 18th in the second division. That's crazy. So, like, really, really poor. And Liverpool had had their worst league position for 20 years by finishing 6th. Um, I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what a terrible season. Yeah, oh, dreadful. <laughs> and we still got in the uh, Cup Winners' Cup, obviously, yeah. because of this. So, yeah, it was all relative, really. But, mm. um, yeah, Sunderland were... Nobody fancied Sunderland, but also Liverpool were stuttering um and yeah. so there there wasn't much talk of an upset by any means because Sunderland were apparently that awful like in the it was literally just something about you know we talk about the magic of the cup and this cup run where they just kept on overperforming. um it's not even as if they had you know one or two star players that were carrying them yeah. just the, uh, apparently all Sunderland were doing is just running harder than the other team like every report I could read every journalist every fan site just seemed to just go, yeah, they ran loads. <laughs> I mean, apparently, if that's enough to get you a cup final, sure. But it's just amazing, really. That they were just like, oh, they ran themselves into the ground. Cool, but did they score goals? Yeah. Did they, like, have a tactic or anything? But who knows? It was just... Uh, but they got there. Exactly. And that's what it's all about. So going on to the game. Four added minutes. And Gerard. I mean that, take a bow. You have been immense. So, surprisingly to some, uh, as the game kicked off, Sunderland were the more energised, probably all that running, and were the slightly more dominant team for the opening 45 minutes, relying on a lot of hard work and a lot of pressing uh, to stifle a very uncreative Liverpool team. So it became quite clear early on that without Barnes, um, Liverpool were kind of lacking that spark of creativity. Obviously, didn't have anyone like Beardsley. Jan Molby was playing, but it was kind of coming to the end of his yeah. um, brilliance. He's and, a big lad, but yeah, I was about to say he'd yeah. put on the pounds. Um, and so, yeah, it was basically Sunderland that for the first kind of 35 minutes or so um, were just, and this was a dour FA Cup final, it's worth saying, it yeah. was 
dreadful because all Sunderland did was press, which is great. But when they had the ball, they didn't have the quality to uh, provide anything. So they would kind of press, stifle. Liverpool would go back to the keeper and then it would start again. And in the final third, it would get pressed. And Was it still Grobbler? Yeah, Grobbler was still in goal. Um, So Michael Thomas. Yes, that Michael Thomas. The Michael Thomas. Two years later. That's right. So it... uh, robbed Liverpool of their league title, yeah. um, was put through for Liverpool uh, early on, but skied a one-on-one over the bar. It's quite an awful miss, really. He gets put in by Molby with the outside of his right, and as he runs in, he's one-on-one with the keeper, and he just hammers it, and it goes over the bar. I don't really know what he was doing, but um, <laughs> nevertheless, yeah, Michael Thomas, pretty much, there's only two moments in the first half that are of note, so that was one of them. Uh, the other one was Anton Rogan, who was Sunderland's left-back, who, again, uh, yeah. Probably the only time he's ever been spoken about on a podcast. So there you go. Enjoy your five seconds of fame, Anton. Uh, but he strikes a shot from distance because nobody closes him down. It ends up hitting the post and going wide. But Bruce Grobelar clashes his head against the post trying to save it. Which, again, when you watch the highlights, he dives into the post and just cracks his head on it. It's just so any, bizarre. Any other keeper, I'd be like, what are they doing? But with Bruce, it's like, yeah. Yeah, it's par for the course, isn't yeah, it? Standard, yeah, standard, really. Exactly. So um, as the first half drew to a close, the game was lacking quality uh, and creativity. So as the second half be- uh, begins, it's time for Steve McManaman to step up. So 47 minutes in, just at the start of the second half. How old half. is he? 18, 19? 19, I think he would right. have been. Yeah, 19. Um, so 47 minutes in, McManaman receives a ball on the right, um, right hugging the touchline. He charges forward past one defender, cuts inside another, and plays a chipped ball into the edge of the area with the outside of his um, right foot, which is it's just a wonderful bit of wing play where he just... You're like, oh yeah, that's the Stephen Manon we'd see for the next 10 years. Wonderful bit of quality from him. He kind of like stamps his foot into the ground, which makes the, the ball kind of bobble in the air. And Michael Thomas allows the ball to bounce, opens his body and rifles in a great half volley from about 16, 17 yards. That arrows in past Tony Norman in the Sunderland goal, kind of loops over him. It's a beauty of the so goal. he made amends then. So he made, yeah, he made, some, uh, made amends. And yeah, it's a brilliant opening goal to be fair. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately this kind of, deflates the game even more. It's always the problem with a team that's trying not to concede that when they do, they just don't know what to do. Yeah. Or, or they can't, they haven't got anything to offer. That was very much the case with the Sunderland team. It was yeah. kind of like, oh, maybe we can get to penalties. Maybe that they had proved that they can drag teams down to their level yeah. and basically rely on fitness, rely on the fact yeah. that they worked harder than most other teams, uh, which they'd done against, obviously, West Ham, done against Chelsea by dragging them to a replay and then managing to scrape in goals. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Liverpool start to find their rhythm, growing confidence, but Thomas's goal seemed to knock the belief and drive out of Sunderland at this point. Um, and as the pressure continued to build, Liverpool pieced together a really good pass and move. Michael Thomas, again, is fed a perfect through ball by Dean Saunders. Your man. Here he is. Um, however, it's not Saunders that puts the ball in the back of the net. So Saunders plays Thomas in uh, with a really good through ball. Michael Thomas's first touch is so dreadful. He tries to go round the defender and his first touch is so heavy, <laughs> it becomes this inadvertent pass to Ian Rush. There he is. Yeah. It was, like you said, it was Wembley, it was uh, Liverpool. So, of course, it's Ian Rush who manages to dispatch the ball, uh, puts it into the corner and puts Liverpool 2-0 up. So, uh, the only thing of note that happens in that second half after that point is Ray Houghton comes close to scoring when he tries to lob Norman from 40 yards, um, but it doesn't quite pull off. But other than that, the rest of the game goes without much significance uh, and Liverpool end up lifting the FA Cup for the fifth time in their history. I was wondering that, yeah. And right. this is the third time in seven years, which makes the uh, the drop-off for... like 
like you say, the next nine years not even oh, yeah, having that, an appearance. That nine-year barren spell that you went Look, through. mate, it's all relative, okay? You're, you can be a bitter Everton fan all you want, <laughs> but it hurt. That's all I'm telling you, mate. Growing up in a time without silverware for Liverpool. Oh, you know, I think it's it was more about struggle. the fact United were winning everything, to be honest. But. Yeah, that, that definitely... Definitely adds salt to the wound. Uh, so uh, that leads us on to my favourite round, your favourite round, oh, the yeah. listener's favourite round. It's the extra time round. Well, you have just witnessed 90 of the most gripping minutes of European football you will ever, ever see. But the good news is there's more to come. Okay, so uh, we've spoken about Sunus's heart surgery uh, and the fact that Ronnie Moran had the honour of leading Liverpool out at Wembley for the final. Uh, he was the only caretaker manager to do so at this point until which manager in 2012? Can you think which caretaker manager? Uh, Robert DeMatteo. Yes, correct. Yeah, Roberto Di Matteo led Chelsea against Liverpool. I said that in a very British way, didn't I? Yeah, Rob, Robert Di Matteo. Yeah, like that Terry Emery used to play for Arsenal. Yeah. Good old Terry Emery. Uh, the game's opening kickoff had to be retaken because Liverpool were over-eager and encroaching into Sunderland half. So you've got the uh, big televised kickoff, and uh, as Sunderland knocked the ball, uh, Liverpool there's three Liverpool players already within their half, so that gets retaken again. Brilliant. Um, along with Bob Paisley, Ronnie Moran had filled every role imaginable at the club, from player to physio, coach, trainer, manager, kit man, T-boy, and mascot. So it, absolutely incredible. So it literally was the whole boot room philosophy. But yeah, Ronnie Moran, um, yeah, along with Bob Paisley, had done every single job. Can I just ask, when was he mascot? But this, yeah, I, well, he was 44 years old. Yeah, I was going to say, that was, was he there as a kid, right? I can only assume. Yeah. But, or did he dress up one well, day and no one knew it was him? To be honest, it's the kind of thing I imagine. He seems like the kind of guy who literally, if you just went, look, mascot's turned up sick. Yeah. Like, nobody can, can you just stick on? No one should know it. If you. I'm honest, mate, he's a little bit, He's a little bit like you. That like, might be the greatest thing you've ever whatever said. Whatever role you asked, you've been because you've been a mascot, haven't you? Uh, you've yeah. been a seagull. I have dressed up as a seagull to be a <laughs> football league mascot. Yes, correct. Um, Maybe, it wasn't it, my choice. Out of um, well, it never is. No, exactly. Was it Ronnie's choice? <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Do you reckon Sunes did it just to <laughs> just to <laughs> make sure that? Yeah, exactly. Make sure the Liverpool players weren't looking up yeah. to Moran. Who's the caretaker now, dickhead? <laughs> So another great bit of trivia here is uh, during the presentation, the winning team were mistakenly given the losers' medals, no and Sunderland way. found themselves with the winning medals. Uh, and this later had to be rectified by the players themselves oh, on the pitch. Man, right. um, One job, exactly. Well, yet again, the FA oh, <laughs> coming my through. Lord. Um, but yeah, so the the thing I wanted to end on, um, and this uh, these are not my words; these are taken from a Bleacher Report um, article you can find out online. But just talking about the kind of manager that Sunes is, mm. uh, but I thought this was particularly scathing and quite funny. So uh, talking about Sunes's transfer policy um, in September of 1992, to the bemusement of the majority of Liverpool fans who had never heard of him, Torben Pichetnik arrived at Liverpool for a fee, a fee of 650,000 from FC Copenhagen, to the delight of Graham Sunes. Sunes really talked Pichek Nick up. He told the Liverpool faithful this was the man to finally replace the legendary Alan Hansen, who had retired the previous year as the leader of the defence. He told them he'd got a bargain by signing an international central defender in his prime. What he neglected to mention was that Pichek Nick wasn't actually any good at football. <laughs> he had not one single strong point to his game, 
Other than the ability to commit an incredible number of fouls, including a rugby tackle on Marco van Basten, <laughs> That's why he liked him. <laughs> during 90 minutes, um, Pichetnik managed just 17 games for Liverpool and induced countless groans from Liverpool fans before being packed off to AGF, our house, in June 1994. Uh. Arguably the worst player to ever play for Liverpool, and in my opinion, certainly the worst signing of the Sunas era. <laughs> so that's kind of the problems, which again, like you said, because he liked to kick people. So um, the final season that Sunas is in charge, he buys... Razor Ruddock and Julian Dix. Of course, yeah, and yeah. that's basically the nail in the coffin because every Liverpool fan is like, this isn't the Liverpool way, yeah. whatever that means. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it basically just became clear that Sunas was more interested in... How long um, did he last, Sunas? Three seasons. Wow. Yeah, three seasons. Because then he buys, he buys like Nigel Clough as well, who doesn't quite yeah, pull off for yeah. him. Uh, Dean Saunders, who you mentioned, scores like 10 goals in his first season, but other than that, doesn't click with Rush like you'd hoped, obviously being international teammates. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, it kind of, it all just fizzles out and now Sunes um, is not particularly well loved by any of the Liverpool fans, which is a shame for what he did as a player. He's a very strange character though, isn't he? He's very dogmatic on his opinions, like obviously the Pogba thing on yeah. Sky Sports. Like there's no, there's no changing his mind, it seems. It was interesting, I was reading an um, interview with... Oh, I can't remember the name, a former Liverpool teammate who was talking about the fact that he's very guarded and... It's almost like a persona, persona where he said he's actually a very, and the interview um, contained the phrase, he's actually a very cuddly man, but does his best not to project that. Right. So it feels like he wants to lean into the hard man persona right. um, and that it might be a bit cultivated and actually he does have a, a genuine heart. Jamie Carragher speaks really highly of him about the fact that um, Sunes, when Carragher was a young player, yeah. Sunes was very good with him and right, would give him advice okay. and was very nurturing. Just and, public persona. Yeah, it seems to be, it's almost like the Roy Keane brand, although I actually yeah. think Roy Keane is genuinely like that in his soul. Yeah. If you look at his soul, it's actually a black hole that's masquerading. Well, I us. watched the interview with him and Gary Neville and it's like, yeah, he's just like that. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I think what's been so enjoyable is there seems to be like Micah Richards is the key to, yeah. to Roy Keane's heart. Yeah. It's a delightful duo. I think that Mike, Michael Richards is the key to a lot of people's hearts. That's like, true. It's he just brings joy. Yeah, he's very difficult to resist, isn't he? He is. He won't be denied. Uh, and on that note, uh, we will be returning next week with uh, another FA Cup final. And Adam, who are we uh, looking forward to listening to next week? That's the 1993 FA Cup final with the joy that is Paul Warhurst's breakthrough season. Thank you.